This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is here with me. This is the Michigan-Penn State preview after... Nine games against teams that are, at best, scraping for bowl eligibility and winning records. Michigan finally plays a team with genuine title aspirations. It is a top 10 opponent in Penn State. It will be at Penn State, which I have said on this podcast for years, is probably a top three road atmosphere in the entire country. I think LSU is the only one I can think of off the top of my head that probably is just as loud and raucous. It's it's impressive. Noon game, night game, whiteout, non-whiteout. It's just a very difficult stadium to, I guess, get comfortable in. Teams win there, but I, I think that the the atmosphere definitely uh it's not for everybody. You know, you have to be a certain type of team to go and and handle your business in state college. So we'll preview the matchup looking at offensive keys, defensive keys. Steve, you and I were talking before the show kind of a few key areas where Michigan has a decided advantage. And we'll talk about that. We'll make our predictions for the game. But first, we'll do the obligatory. This one will be shorter than the last two episodes, but our, our obligatory sign gate update. So since Sunday, which is the last time we recorded, not much has leaked that hasn't been in Michigan's favor. I think it, I think that's a fair way to put it. You know, Michigan was given its... I don't know if it's called a notice of discipline. It's not a notice of allegations. That's an NCAA term. But the Big Ten basically said, you have 48 hours to respond. We are, we plan on disciplining you based on your involvement in this in this investigation. We talked on Sunday. Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti fielded a bunch of calls from other Big Ten coaches and Big Ten athletic directors and then came in guns a-blazing, kindly requesting Michigan fire Jim Harbaugh suspend him. And Michigan said no, which... Literally no team would do that. But regardless, they they gave a notice of discipline. Michigan took its 48 hours, submitted a 10-page letter based on Michi- Michigan's lawyers, and then another 8-page letter from Jim Harbaugh and his lawyers, making, I feel like, pretty hard-to-argue points about the Big Ten's role in the situation. I think, you know, I think the letter is like, like we have been, we're pretty clear, like eventually the NCAA is going to conclude its investigation, release its findings. And like it or not, I mean, Michigan probably is going to have to deal with those. That's why the NCAA takes its time on these things. But it does seem to be thorough. And I, I would assume if they have anything beyond what has been leaked, you know, that will change the punishment. But the Big Ten, I think it's been a little bit more contentious from Michigan's side of things because the Big Ten was acting on a pretty subjective, pretty, I, not ambiguous, the actual word, but but a lot of leeway, a lot of subjectivity in its sportsmanship policy. And so that's step one. And part of Michigan's counterpoint, and they were able to show it, was that in just a matter of days, they were able to come up with evidence that three other teams participated in 
uh, colluded sign stealing of Michigan and smartly it included the Big Ten championship game, which is a there was claims from other teams that they only won the Big Ten titles because they had opponent signs. Well, that's now it's patently not true. And Michigan was able to provide the play card impressively. You know, we talk about Connor Stallions and there's a lot of speculation about what he was able to get. Well, Michigan came in with the actual card and according to their lawyers, it was 100% accurate. So, you know, they were able to bring that proof. And then I think the other argument was why is the big 10 doing this punishment before the NCAA investigations over? So as of this recording, Thursday afternoon, there has been no suspension. If there is between now and then, we'll we'll try to make sure our points don't change. I mean, I think the fact is, I think Michigan, in my mind, whether the Big Ten suspends Harbaugh or not, was able to prove its side of things. I think it really did successfully change the narrative around this from people thinking it's the it, it, neutral observers thinking that this is some big scandal, some big deal, that it's the Astros, it's the Patriots, it's that kind of severity to oh Michigan might have violated the letter of the law but it it's far from the only team to violate the spirit of the rule I mean because the actual rule was written as a cost-cutting thing but in terms of the did you go too far to steal your opponent's signs Michigan may be guilty with that but so are a lot of other teams and I think the Big Ten definitely has something to think about there well three reasons one it clearly is not some giant competitive advantage that Michigan benefited from and no one else benefited from. Would you rather have Connor Stallions looking at grainy iPhone footage of signs and spending you know all that time? Or would you rather have Ohio State give you Michigan's play card from the research that they did? I think you would rather have the latter every time. So that's one. Two, because other teams were able to steal signs so successfully, that does seem to open the possibility that Michigan's coaches genuinely had no idea that Stallions was doing all this. Not saying one way or another, but in theory, they if other teams are able to do this, why should Michigan be suspicious that Stallions had was pretty good at this Stein stealing as well? And then, yeah, three, if he's suspended, and I, I think this was the money quote in the, in the lawyers, in the Michigan letter, was basically, the Big Ten should be cautious about setting this precedent because basically implying these violations, sign stealing, collusion, other violations may be more prevalent than Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti realizes. And, and we said this Sunday, I think the other takeaway I have from this week was the next Big Ten Commissioner, I don't know when that'll be, it might be sooner than I expected, but the next Big Ten Commissioner needs to have some experience working with football coaches or college athletic directors. I mean, Petiti, I think he was, what, in charge of MLB TV. I know he was a lawyer. I'm sure he's qualified in a lot of ways, but I think the Big Ten kind of went to- for someone who could keep the money train rolling. But at the end of the day, if college football is going to stand as it is and the Big Ten is going to stand as it is, it cannot have commissioners who are so impressionable by phone calls with coaches that they come into their biggest brand, not you know, it should should be true for any brand, but they come into mi- the Big Ten's biggest brand and basically ask them to fire their head coach over something that it sounds like a lot of teams participate in. You know, time will tell if the NCAA views Michigan's as as more severe, but at the end of the day, it really did come off like the Big Ten commissioner Tony Petiti just had no idea what he was diving into. 
with the sign stealing with other teams involvement. And now it just, now it looks bad for everybody. Well, I guess Michigan looks a little better than they did a week ago, but in terms of Petiti looks worse, uh, Michigan made it a little messy. Now suddenly, you know, people are critiquing the big 10 for being kind of like a messier conference. I feel like Michigan did its job this week in terms of, of successfully defending itself. Even if there is still a suspension, it sounds like Michigan would fight any suspension, but even if there is still a suspension, uh, I, I think Michigan successfully defended itself. Like if it's going down, it's going down swinging because I think it was able to successfully prove multiple ways that this sign stealing situation is not as severe as it was being branded as it might still be severe if the NCAA finds more or whatever. But the, at the end of the day, this does not look like the Houston Astros. This does not look like the New England Patriots. This looks like Michigan taking a slightly different path to more or less the same result. Steve, your thoughts on what has changed since Sunday? It's gotten a lot stupider as we expected. Uh, almost wanted to compile a list of like the dumbest things that have been written about this uh, since it started, I just think it would be a, a fascinating. You had one writer for a notable publication try to try to argue that JJ McCarthy should be uh, eliminated from the Heisman Trophy competition this season because of this. Uh, I mean, just just monumentally stupid stuff. I agree. Michigan made the arguments they needed to make uh, to basically expose the the outrageous hypocrisy of this entire thing literally zero surprise that they were able that they have evidence that other programs have again yeah getting play cards from an actual coaching staff i don't know how you can even compare it to a third party sitting in the crowd videotaping some signals i i just i don't even know how you can say they're in the same ballpark Honestly, I mean, we, you could go to a game, you could go to the game on Saturday. And and if somebody brought their, like any person could pull out their phone, videotape the game, you know, I, it's just, I, it's just so stupid. Um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, Michigan also not a surprise prepared. We're are prepared to fight any big 10 decision. I think the big 10 has come out of this looking just absolutely again repeating the word stupid here uh commissioner looks like he's in over his head in my opinion you're you're essentially trying to make an unprecedented decision at this point without any proof as the nca as of yesterday i believe was reported still has found no connection to jim harbaugh I don't think they're ever going to find a connection to Jim Harbaugh with this. Honestly, I said I've no way would from... Michigan be this confident. Right, well, th- th- right exactly. Like they've they've that... done they've done their research and they ha- they are going full throttle. Which credit to Michigan, by the way. I think different presidents, different athletic directors might yes. waffle a little bit. Yes, uh, this this administration was ten toes down from the start, yep. and I think it's yep. really showing. I did wonder if what I, I had that kind of thought in my head, like where where would the, what would this situation be right now if. Like if Mark Schlissel was still the president at Michigan, or like think or, about past athletic directors too. I know Ward Manuel sure, gets a lot sure. of a lot of flack for a lot of reasons. I think some of it's warranted. I do think publicly 
he has never once gone to my knowledge. I might fact check it, but to my knowledge, he has never once publicly gone against his coaches. And don't forget when Michigan fans were done with Harbaugh, he said, Nope, not yet. And, and, you know, just as he has to own the criticism of some of the other decisions he's made, that's one that he gets to take credit for. Yep. So like I said, I just, the commissioner making a prepared to make a, an outrageous decision based on a public uproar created by anonymous sources and reports without any direct connection to the person that they were prepared to suspend. As the NCA again, has found no connection to Jim Harbaugh. Like we just went over. I don't think they're going to like, and, and a bunch of whiny athletic directors and coaches who really just are, their motivation is to just watch to, to, to anything to gain some kind of advantage or, or gain yeah, some they kind don't of They don't actually a, care. They just right. want to bring Michigan down, which yep. Michigan probably feels the same way about a lot of teams yes. in the country too. Right. But so, yeah, you have to take that with a grain of salt if you're the Big Ten commissioner. And that's And that's my point is you don't like – how do you not have the the wherewithal to to say okay why are they so bent on getting like like I still the the report that just cracks me up over, the, over this whole thing was when they quoted the uh, or the the stuff about Michigan State's athletic director just cracks me up to no end about like how that how he really listened to what Haller had to say about like this it's like come on man. Like you think Haller is is concerned about the Michigan players' safety? Like, like when like, Ohio State has their signals, Purdue has their signals. Exactly right, and so it's so again, it's 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 kind of actually at this point now it's been kind of it's been funny. I feel like a lot of you know we've seen like a couple like a couple writers who have done such a great job. We we trashed on the the usual suspects the last couple episodes, but like it it literally has just been guys who have whose arguments have been there's no precedence for this when you're not even letting the process play out at all. Like guys like Dan Wetzel who have actually been asking the right questions in this situation. Like, again, we've said continuously, if the NCA or whoever has evidence that there are connections to the actual staff here, that they were involved, then we'll have that conversation when it happens. But it, at this point, it definitely doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Like you said, the NCA has been sitting on this now for how long, we still learn nothing that new as far as like outside of like Connor Stallions being kind of a nut job. Like that's literally all we've learned throughout this entire situation. Uh, uh, at least since, since the original reports about the videoing and stuff, that's it. No connection, to any staff member specifically, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's been kind of, like I said, it's, it's, there's a lot of egg on some faces at this point. And it may end up including the Big Ten. I, I do they? It'll be interesting to see how they play it. We know if if they do try to suspend Jim Harbaugh, Michigan will file some kind of legal injunction to prevent that from taking place immediately. So I would be very surprised if he if Harbaugh is not on the sidelines for the rest of Michigan's season, uh, regardless of what the Big Ten attempts to do. But at this point, I also think the Big Ten. I, I just think they'd be making a massive mistake to try to suspend Harbaugh. I, I just feel like Michigan is prepared to really expose the hypocrisy and stupidity of these potential actions right now. Uh, and again, like you said, and I always go back to this, like 
you can tell, you could even tell on Harbaugh's end, you could just tell that this, I don't think that they are sweating this as much as what people maybe have thought. Uh, because I think they know, uh, you know, what, like they, they obviously have a better grip on the situation than uh, every than, lawyer is always right? going to sound confident. But I do think the actions that Michigan has done, the unanimity of which right? Michigan has acted has very much seemed like a, a program that does not have a single they do not expect they have zero expectation of this turning around on them and having egg on their face. Right. So, yeah, it's been fascinating to see it play out. I mean, it, it has, but it, it, again, it, it just remains just comically stupid. Again, we've said rival fans are like fans, whatever, and even rival like team writers uh, are going to approach this how they may, and, and it should not be unexpected. You know, but but again, I've said this from the beginning. From just from a seriously objective standpoint, this is one of the stupidest things, maybe the stupidest thing that we ever cover. Doing this is this situation. So, yeah, to see it kind of play out, you know, like this, it'll be funny. Probably laugh about it. There'll be books. I'm sure, somebody will write a book. I can't this. express how much I don't want to read one of those books. I don't either, but you know that you I know appreciate be everyone. Who want to read. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I love supporting authors, whatever. I have zero <laughs> interest in reading about a, a sign stealing book. Now, now, Connor Stallions, I might read a book about him. Right. That, that, that man that, has lived like four different lives and he's 28, right? <laughs> like, this vacu- like this vacuum thing. I'll tell you, I'll tell you just, to, I wasn't going to say that, just to illustrate this dude before he was hired used to follow and unfollow my fiance on Instagram like three or four times a week. And I, so my, my point is I, I can't imagine she was the only person because when this all happened, I got a text saying, this is the guy that used to follow me and unfollow me on Instagram all the time. And I was like, yeah, I remember, you know, like just to, again, to just sort of continue to illustrate how much of a whack job this guy seems like he is or was or whatever. Um, yeah. Like, Potentially, like, just, like, following and unfollowing, like, I don't know, females, males, whatever, like, fans on Instagram. Like, and you know, because even members on our board. He used to follow me. He was one of those people that I would always get notifications for. I don't get notifications for everybody. I never followed him. But, yeah, he would, like, follow me. And then, like, next thing I know, he would, like, block me. And then he would refollow me again. I just uh the guy would pop up in my uh who to follow you know and I did the man like, sleep too because like you think about like what is he doing running a 200 vacuum like he's got the vacuum business he's got the you know the ticket purchasing deal he's working for michigan former <laughs> former naval graduate uh right. former military captain a very interesting oh. person yeah i don't know I man mean, but yeah just to illustrate just a, a personal illustration my only experience with the guy was uh him always popping up in the who to follow thing on Twitter back in the day. And me literally like saying to myself one time, I remember like, who the F is this guy? Like, <laughs> well, what is his name's kind of memorable? Yeah, sure. It is. Right. So yeah, I do so kind of would... laugh. Like would this whole situation have been different if his name wasn't so easily searchable, like in like a ticket database, like if his name was like John Jackson, like, you know, they could right. be able to find right. all these tickets, but I don't know. It's either way. Yeah, that that part's interesting. The only thing I, I would say in addition is since we're critiquing the Big Ten and how they handled it, I want to offer my thoughts on how they should have handled it. 
I think as soon as the Big Ten was approached about this before the NCAA investigated, because you, I think you mentioned that on Sunday, sounds like the Big Ten was at least alerted to this beforehand. That is opportunity number one to call up Michigan, ask about it, find out what you can find out. Like, is this like, does Michigan genuinely not know? Did Michigan like, are they offering pushback? Are they arguing? That's opportunity number one. Opportunity number two, the NCAA lets the Big Ten know that they are investigating this. That would feel like a good time to get Jim Harbaugh on the phone or get Ward Manuel on the phone and have some sort of discussion about what do you know? What do you think? What's going on here? Opportunity number three, before you hear what the obviously biased 13 other Big Ten coaches and 13 other athletic directors have to say, perhaps that is a time to go to Michigan and, and try to gauge, okay, we're hearing a lot of this stuff in the media. What do you guys think? Or what what are we missing from this? Now, technically, we have no way to know that the Big Ten did not do that or try to do that. But what I do know is that they came in, they meeting uh, Tony Petiti came in way too hot last Friday, came in, as you mentioned, basically parroting what other athletic directors and other coaches had to say. And I, I cannot imagine that if Petiti was in open communication with Michigan, that he would have come in that hot. He had zero excuse to be blindsided by these letters. I'm hearing, oh, he's taking some time to think about it. I, I understand that some parts of it, but, but what is he doing all week? What has he been doing the last three weeks? I feel like if you're the Big Ten, and yes, you pay Michigan a lot of money as part of the Big Ten, but the, but the Big Ten is the Big Ten in large part because of Michigan. And I, that's not even just because Michigan has a big fan base. That's because Michigan's been a member for, what, 100 years? I don't know exactly how many years. A lot of years. They are arguably your most successful athletic department and football program in Big Ten history. And they really represent the Big Ten quite well. If you think about like academically, the research side of things, the very first reaction from the Big Ten should not be, oh, we got to do something about Michigan. It's how can we help Michigan? Because you know what the SEC does all the time? They try to find ways to bury stories, clear SEC programs' names, and that's why Greg Sankey is like the probably the most successful and well-paid commissioner in, in college football. He's always got his school's backs. When they didn't like satellite camps, you know what he did? He did everything he could to get rid of satellite camps. So when Michigan has like a, a, a very highly unusual scandal with not a lot of details, not a lot of timeline or, or sense of what's going to happen, the Big Ten's reaction shouldn't be, well, what do the other coaches think? It should be, how can we help Michigan? They don't have to, they have to go to bat for the other 13 schools. I understand that. But surely there was something more in the middle. Fire Jim Harbaugh or suspend Jim Harbaugh. And I mean, it just, it just boggles the mind that the Big Ten's first reaction wasn't, it's, you know, we're on Michigan's team. Doesn't it? it? Yeah. Doesn't it, doesn't it set, doesn't it like, don't some alarms go off in your head if you're the commissioner when you're like all 13, weird how mad all 13 teams seem to be about this almost seem a little too mad you know like no, you yeah know like what, does that pass the smell test? Like, like, yeah. like okay like okay there there's like you know it's like uh just and, and, just and that's so that's stupid. where the football experience has to come into play i think most other commissioners in college football 
are laughing at how Petiti handled this because sign stealing is not new. I understand that there's controversy. I'm not trying to like say Michigan did nothing wrong, but it's not like a new concept. It's not a foreign concept. It's not, it, it is just straight up not what the Astros did. It's not, at least unless there is like crazy new evidence that Michigan had like walkie talkies in their helmets or something like that. I mean, it's just the rule that was broken was more of a technicality, right? Because that rule was not meant, that was more of a cost cutting rule from 30 years ago. And yeah, I just feel like if, if it was an, if it was a big 10 commissioner that had like been an athletic director or had you know, worked with football coaches or been an administrator in a football program before. I feel like he could have passed the smell, the smell test on what the coaches and the athletic directors were saying. Cause, cause don't get me wrong. If, if 13 coaches and athletic directors all are pretty unanimous on their belief about something, you do have to listen to that. Cause you can't have one school. Like I, I get where it came from, but I think two, two things he should have done. One he should have asked a lot of impartial people about this first people who maybe work in football, but don't have skin in the game about Michigan. You know, think about like what the different coaches around the country have said and former players, especially I feel like JJ Watt, Robert Griffin, the third Deion Sanders. I mean, there's a, there's a pretty long list of players who have been like kind of not necessarily downplaying it, but kind of being like, I don't think it's as big as a deal as people think. And then I think step two should have been, how can I help Michigan? You do have to work for all 14 programs. I understand that. But surely there is a better way to serve your one of your biggest constituents than asking them to fire the coach or suspend the coach before the investigation's done. Just basically because other coaches and athletic directors asked you to. It's ludicrous. Anyway, we're going to hit a quick break. On the other side, we're going to preview Michigan Penn State. There is a big football game this week, too. Contrary to what you might see on social media, this is a, a huge week, huge test for the Michigan football team. Uh, huge opportunity in the steps toward their season long goals. You're listening to the Wolverine 24 7 podcast. Introducing the two way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, Steve, let's just do keys. We'll do some keys on the offensive side, keys on the defensive side. I think things are going to be a lot tougher than they've been for Michigan's 
offense. I, I, you know, this is not Purdue. This is not Michigan State. This is not Minnesota. It's not Nebraska or Indiana. I mean, it's it's going to come a little bit tougher. What is the biggest key for you for Michigan's offense in this matchup? So yeah, we've been talking. Mean, I do think they're going to have to run the football better than they have. You know, talk about it not being that major of a concern for me that I think they have a lot of different wrinkles and stuff that they've been able to hold back in anticipation of this game specifically. But I do think they're going to have to run the ball more effectively to this isn't a situation where, you know, Penn State's got a good they have good enough players in their defensive backfield that Michigan's not going to be able to just throw the ball all over the place if Penn State slows down their running game. Right. I think it'll be a little bit more difficult. I'm curious to see what kind of approach Penn State takes. We did talk about will they just go with seven in the box or will they be like pretty much everyone else so far this year and and stack the box? I got to think, you know, Jalen Reed, Kalen King, both Detroit guys actually have had great seasons. Reed at safety, King at corner, obviously is a big time NFL prospect. Those guys are really good. I kind of feel like Penn State may be able to get away with having seven in the box or at least attempting to, to start the game with seven in the box. But the one thing, though, like with as far as Michigan running the ball, is like Penn State's run defense has been excellent this year. I just, I still feel like Michigan has a major size advantage in the middle up front, right? I think Penn State has, they're down two defensive tackles. Both were out early in the season. So I'm, I am interested to see, because we'd argue like, I think Michigan should attack the edge more in the running game, not necessarily in this game, but just in general. But I, they may have an advantage on Penn State on the interior. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of approach specifically they take in the running game. But I do think you're going to want to see a little bit more success. You know, I I don't like, I know JJ McCarthy has been amazing on third down this year, but this is not a game where you want third and seven, third, third and six, third and seven, third and eight, right. You want to be within, you know, you want third and four, third and three. So Right. I just don't, I think there's a lot less leeway for McCarthy on third and long on Saturday than there has been in these other games this year. Yeah. I think, I think you're absolutely right about that because Penn State's pass rush might be the best pass rush Michigan faces all season. I, I haven't dug into Ohio State's stats a ton, but teams have attempted 254 passes on Penn State this season. And Penn State has 202 quarterback pressures and 37 sacks. I mean, those are incredible numbers. They really are. And they might be getting Chop Robinson back this game. I don't I haven't checked the latest injury reports, but it sounds like he could return this game. So and I assume if he could, he probably will, right? It's one of those I, kind hey, of games. Uh, did you see did you watch the Ohio State game, the Ohio State Penn State game, or was Michigan yeah. playing this? He had like a seizure or something, didn't he? Like so when they yeah. cut to com- like when he got hurt, they cut to commercial, but when they were like right about to cut to commercial, they sort of had it wasn't a close-up view, but he was like he had was like making some weird movements, and they never really specified what his actual injury was. Uh, so, but it, yeah, it, it does look like his great player. I mean, you talk about hitting the jackpot in the transfer portal, former Maryland player, but also was very highly rated out of high school. I mean, he was like it's now no surprise that he's been a great player. But yeah, I'm interested to see. Hopefully, for his sake, he's he's healthy enough to play. I mean, just because. Like I said, seeing that live when they were cutting into commercial, I'm like, what the heck is is he all right? Like, is that a, you know, I was expecting them to come back in and it be something, but I remember they, I think they said he was in the medical tent and then never really heard anything about it. Matter of fact, I didn't even know that he missed, was he missed the last two? Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So like, I, yeah, I didn't even know that he had missed those last two games. So yeah, hopefully he's healthy. Great player. And then uh, was it Isaac Adiza Isaac on the other side yes. of New York yep. is another player that Michigan recruited. So, you know, Penn state, both their edges are definitely future NFL players for sure. Well, they, yeah, they've just got a deep edge room. Abdul Carter, great pass rusher out of the linebacker position. So yeah, you get into third and long, it's gonna be it's gonna be much tougher in this game, I think, than other games because Penn State has guys who can make picks and coverage if they expect a pass, right? They're gonna be a little bit more ready to pick a pass off. And then yeah, the proverbial pin your ears back and go that the edge rushers can get. I mean, that's gonna be a little bit tougher. So you wanna be in more ambiguous downs, like a third and four, are you running, are you passing? You want to be in that kind of situation. So that's that's probably what Penn State's defense does best is the pass rush. I think they're good at just about everything. You know, they force 10 fumbles this season. They have 10 interceptions. I got to imagine they're the only team in the country that's done that so far. I think there are a couple pockets, though, where where Michigan can have some success. I, I don't – this is a very good defense. I don't think this is like a un penetrable defense or anything i think two things jump out to me in the past game similar to a lot of teams safeties linebackers have struggled at times in coverage they've given up big plays they've given up high percentage i'll read the yards per attempt stats so for the cornerbacks it's 5.9 you talk about kalen king um, what daquan hardy you know some of those plays they have some really good cornerbacks you know, guys who will certainly be playing in the league johnny dixon another guy but yeah, the cornerbacks, they are giving up 5.9 yards per target and a completion percentage of 57%. Safeties, it's 68.8% and 10.9 yards per target. And linebackers, 72.2%. It's a lower yards per target, but they're also less far downfield, so 7.4 yards per target. That's kind of true for every defense. Like Very rarely are linebackers and safeties as good in coverage at, as their cornerbacks. But I, I do think the difference is notable enough that if I'm Michigan, this is a tight ends game. This is a throw to Donovan Edwards game. I ended up looking it up. Donovan Edwards, second in the Big Ten. He trails by six in running back receiving yards. Colston Loveland, he trails by 10, second among Big Ten tight ends in receiving yards. So kind of impressive when you think about you know all the attention Roman Wilson has got, not from the Blitnikoff watch list, but from everyone else. You know, he's he's had a very successful, highly publicized year, but quietly Michigan arguably has the best or second best receiver at multiple spots. I mean, they they really can every time they throw the ball, they really can have five or six options, four or five options, I should say. So I think that's one area is like just just put guys in motion. I think Michigan's been fantastic in motion. I'm sure a football coach could elaborate better on like what they do, but I just I feel like they're able to create mismatches and, and really identify and sniff out the defense just by putting guys in motion. And, and that's, that's getting, giving guys momentum. I, I, I love like, you know, the Donovan Edwards plays where he's already got, he's already in his run. Right. And so he's able to get upfield faster. I think Samaj Morgan has been able to do that a couple of times. So, you know, I think, I think create finding the mismatch through motion, through different formations and then exploiting it through your wide array your vast network, if you will, of pass catching options, I think is one. And then in the run game, I don't expect them to run for 418 yards. I really don't. But I do think if Michigan's running backs, because I asked Mike Hart about this yesterday, I said, you know, a lot of talk about how low the player snap counts are, how fresh everyone is, is that extra significant 
at running back. And he said, absolutely. This is the healthiest he feels Michigan could ever be at this point in the season at running back. I mean, cause like you ask a running back, any running back who's played at the college or pro level, how many days into the season do you stop being 100%? They usually say the first day that there's pads is the last day you're 100% healthy as a running back. It's just, it's a very physically demanding position. It's one I know Michigan braces for with their running backs. They don't necessarily get hit as hard as maybe they used to. I think there is a little bit of like, hey, don't hit that hard. Don't like, don't hurt your running back. And then you look at their carry counts so much lower than last season. So the wear and tear, especially with a bye week two weeks ago, is really low. So if Michigan's running backs can come in and run hard, if they can come in ready for a dogfight, ready for to battle for every yard that they've got, and then you add in that the offensive line last two years, everyone had hem and haw about the offensive line in September and a little bit in October, and then in November was when you started to see it turn on, especially in the run game. If those two things could happen, I think Michigan's got a real chance to to win that side of the matchup because Penn State, as good as they are, as they they only they've only given up two runs of twenty yards or more this season. They've only given up twenty of ten yards or more. That's third in the country, but they are eighty eighth in Pro Football Focus's tackling grade. They miss tackles in the run game. They have a missed tackle rate of sixteen point four percent. Michigan's is ten percent. Most good defenses are hovering at right around ten. 16.4, that is below average for a Power 5 team. Now, they make up for it because they've got guys flying all over the place. Linebackers can come in, safeties, you know, have a lot of stops near the line of scrimmage in the run game. But I I think if Michigan comes in ready for a dogfight and to, to scrap for I think about like Hassan Haskins. I feel like he set the blueprint when he went to Penn State two years ago. They didn't have Blake Corum. I think Donovan Edwards wasn't healthy either. I think he was working through something as well. It was the Hassan Haskins show. He played like 60 snaps, but he fought for every yard. He really did. And that's that's why Michigan won. The Eric All play was great, but Hassan Haskins is a big part of why they won that football game. It felt like that was you know, the Ohio State game. He had more touchdowns, but I really, I've said it before, and I, I'll probably say it again. I think that Penn State game, I think that was his legacy moment in a lot of ways because they needed everything he had and he gave it and so Michigan's run game they haven't had to play that kind of game this year they haven't had to like fight for every yard because they've won every game by 24 points or more and so yeah I mean I I you know we talk about them maybe holding back I'm a little skeptical because you'd think you would see more at this point but at the same time from a mentality standpoint I don't even care how many yards they run for on Saturday. I mean, obviously it would make a difference, but I think if there's a mentality of fighting for every yard, I really do think Michigan's going to be able to move the chains and going to be able to have a productive offensive day because you know, Ohio state, they were a little shorthanded against Penn state's defense, right? They had Marvin Harrison, but um, Travion Henderson was out. Emeka Ibuka was out. So we haven't necessarily seen Penn state's, Defense go up against an offense like Michigan's, in my opinion. And even Indiana, they threw for 270 yards on Penn State. Maryland threw for 280-something yards. So it's kind of, I don't know, I feel like a balanced offense that that fights and that has a good offensive line, that fights for every yard on, on, the, on the ground and then finds matchups and stays patient in the pass game, I, I feel like there's going to be an opportunity. I really do. 
All right, switching over to the defense, Penn State's offense, if you watch that Ohio State game, probably not as scary as Michigan's offense. This is one area where Michigan can really, you know, they have the on-paper advantage. But your biggest key for Michigan's defense against this Penn State offense? So Penn State has been, they've dominated the turnover margin uh, this season. I think they're number one in the country. I feel like by a while, by a right, several. yeah, they were very. Cons- they feel for the most part very conservative offensively. That's something they've been able to get away with. Well, kind of. In, I mean, granted, maybe Michigan putting up some better numbers, but like you know, again, I, I just don't. I don't think Michigan has been. I think they've been relatively conservative, especially through the with the running game. Um, I think it's it's getting pressure on on Drew Aller. I, I think if Michigan can can do that because Ohio state, I feel like if I remember correctly, Ohio state did a pretty good job of getting pressure. He's not quite there yet. You know, I I've been as high on drew Aller as anybody. I mean, I think I remember tweeting multiple times. I think he was the number one quarterback in that class. Uh, You know, I think he's got a, a very, very high ceiling, but I do think Michigan can a get pressure there and B I feel like Michigan can lock them up on the outside too. So well, I'm sure Will Johnson will draw Keandre Lambert Smith, who's their best receiver. Cephas, the transfer, I believe, is a guy maybe starting to come on a little bit too. I think I don't know if he did much early in the year, but a guy who's coming on as well. But I gotta think my thought, my thought here is I think Penn State is gonna try to go deep to begin the game to try to get Aller comfortable. Because they'll they'll dink and dunk all day if they feel like they can keep moving the chains. But I think to soften Michigan's defense, I think they'll probably go try to f- try for a deep ball early on in the game. So you know, but I, to me, yeah, in situations like that, I think Michigan, if they can get pressure, as he's only thrown one pick this year, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, 20, 20 touchdowns, one interception. Yeah, it's impressive, but it's weird when you watch them though because he's like he's not turning the ball over, but he hasn't really. Again, I say this as somebody who's very high on him, but I, I just he has not there hasn't been a major wow. I got some actor. stats for you. Okay. You go ahead. Yeah, so he is up. 122nd nationally in average depth of target. It's yeah. 7.6, 122nd out of 134. That's how to your point about them being conservative or or at least just like focusing on the short passes. And then another stat for you under pressure. His completion percentage drops from 70.2% when he's not under pressure to 38.9% when he is under pressure. Now, he's actually been kind of efficient on those passes. Like, he's not throwing picks. He's throwing touchdowns. Some of those passes work, but the completion percentage is down. Um, on deep passes, he only has eight of twenty eight completions of 20 yards or more this season on 27 attempts. His completion percentage on pass attempts of less than 10 yards, 78%. On 10 through 19 yards, it's 56.5%, and it's 29.6% when it's 20 yards or more. So all hmm. these numbers basically tell me exactly what you've been saying, that you know he's he's been an efficient quarterback, he has not been a wow play quarterback, and Penn State's offense has not really swung for the fences very much. It's very right. much like in baseball, they'd be a contact hitter, just trying to get dink and dunk passes here and there. Yeah, and it's worked, except against Ohio State, right? So... So begs the question is, does Michigan just try to get pressure up front or do they bring extra guys? Because if they have to bring extra guys, you know, if they're not comfortable throwing the deep ball, you might see some screens mixed in if you're Penn State, whether it's to the backs or to the tight ends, you know, so it, it, 
it to me it really comes down to how much pressure can Michigan get with their front with their front four their whoever you know their front line without having to blitz a linebacker or whatever uh if they can do that I think Michigan should have quite a bit of success very fascinated to see if Penn State's able to run the ball they quietly for as much crap I think as Michigan has gotten from from some about yeah there's some parallels right Penn State does not run the ball that well either this year with and they have a ton of talent at running back right Nick Singleton I think he was a five-star by the end of the he was cycle Katron Allen obviously great great running back as well so yeah they're in a similar boat there I just feel like again I just feel like Michigan matches up better up front against Penn State's offensive line than Penn State's defensive line matches up against Michigan again particularly in in the interior so um so yeah might come down to how does Michigan try to generate pressure and what does Penn State do when Michigan does get pressure I think those are really the big questions for me yeah I have similar questions I think in terms of the run game I feel like that's an opportunity for Michigan to really alter this matchup because I think on paper it's you know the line is less than a touchdown it's on the road but Penn State's offensive line is averaging 1.8 yards before contact per carry last season Michigan's offensive line averaged three yards before contact per carry I think this year they're around like 2.5 somewhere in that neighborhood but 1.8 that is ninth in the Big Ten and that is just that Michigan there's a little bit of mystery as to why its run game hasn't worked because the offensive line seems like it's doing a decent job and the running backs seem like they're doing a decent decent job but the Penn State side of things it's very clearly the offensive line this is just not a ground game offensive line not effective at at creating holes in the run game I don't know if it's scheme I haven't watched enough of them to know if it's scheme versus personnel but probably both at this point yeah it just has not been effective it is funny because Catron Allen, I think his numbers are like similar to last season. I think he's averaging around 4.8 yards per carry. I mean, it's he's a bigger back, so he's kind of always going to be more like a chain moving after contact kind of guy. But but Nick Singleton, it was funny going on our 24 seven site, Penn State sites podcast. And, you know, I was explaining Donovan Edwards situation and why it's been so puzzling. He's like, honestly, it's the same deal over over here where with, with Singleton, five star guy, a lot of hype. I mean, there was. There was talk that Michigan and Penn State had the t- two best running back duos in the country before the season. And I don't think either have looked particularly close to that ranking so far. So Saturday will be a little bit of a test for both of them, because if if either group has a big game, that probably changes the narrative about their season. Yeah, I, I do think Michigan will have a lot of success stopping the run. Obviously, don't want to like arm tackle guys because because both Allen, especially and Singleton a little bit. I mean, they've got the size and the strength to, you know, break a, a lazy tackle or a weaker tackle. So I think that's that's going to be key. Yeah, in terms of stopping the pass game, I think pressure really helps. If Michigan has a great pass rush day, I do think Michigan or I do think Penn State's going to have a bad day throwing the ball. I I kind of suspect that Penn State will try to just get the ball out quick. You know, maybe catch Michigan over committing here and there. They are third in the Big Ten in yards after the catch, so that that will be something to monitor. Right. You don't want to like overcommit to trying to get the, the pick or the pass break up and then suddenly they can get 20 yards downfield or you don't want you don't want to be out of position to make a tackle. So that that will be key in the in the secondary. But, yeah, I think really just limiting the big play because Penn State just does not strike me as a offense that will be able to sustain drives against Michigan's defense. I think Michigan there's a lot of things Michigan's defense does well. I think the thing they do best is they get off the field. 
You look at plays per drive that they're allowing. You look at the first down rates they're allowing, the third downs, the red zone defense. Like, you really have to be a good offense to score on. on, You either need a big play, which has happened. Rutgers had one. Nebraska, Nebraska had one. Those were their only touchdowns. Or you need to be a really efficient, consistently successful offense to, like, sustain a drive and score on Michigan. So I think... I think Michigan has the better end on that matchup. I think the bigger question will probably just be, can they outscore Penn State? Tends to be a successful strategy is outscoring your opponent. But yeah, you know, two really good defenses. I think Penn State's defense a little bit more in your face with sacks and and turnovers and I guess the so-called havoc plays. Michigan's defense a little bit less in your face, but they also aren't giving up big plays. They also aren't going to let you get a lot of first downs. So I think it'll be, Interesting. All right, prediction time, Steve. Anything else, any additional thoughts you have on this matchup and your final prediction for Saturday? Uh, no no other major thoughts. I guess, like, I before we got on, I said I thought this game came down. It comes that there's two big things that I thought questions are, I guess, is, you know, does Michigan rally around all the crap that's been sort of, th- like, really for the team, if we're being honest, unnecessarily thrown in their direction the last couple weeks? Uh, you know, Ward Manuel was at practice this week. I believe a couple of regents. We were just doing the recruiting pod. Sam mentioned Jordan Acker, a couple of, like Michigan has like from all angles has Jim Harbaugh's back by effect has the team's back. And I'm kind of wondering if, if, if in a way, not that Michigan needs like if it, they don't need a galvanizing, but like that this might really be something that could propel them. Uh, heading into the uh, and really their first major test of the season, you know, on the road. I'm fascinated to see sort of how Michigan reacts, right? Uh, I agree with you. I think Happy Valley, I don't know if the stats even back it up, but it just feels like the toughest place to play. I mean, obviously the horseshoe for Michigan, but like just on a, on a game-by-game basis in the Big Ten Conference, uh, Penn State just feels different, whether it's at night or it's during the day. So, you know, not the easiest place to win, but fans, right? Like I think about, like I've asked Michigan fans, like, oh, which trips are you thinking about? And like they always, Ohio State's always won. You know, a lot of the Big Ten West schools are because those a lot of those are in big cities. And then just like the dynamic of the stadium, it's it's built to be loud. Aluminum right. stands, aluminum bleachers, um, very high angles. You know, the whole thing shakes when when they get going, and and I think the fans really lean into it. I I kind of joke like it's it's like if a typical college football stadium student section was just like tripled in size. Like that's how loud it would be. That's how passionate it would be. Like they don't have a lot of down in front fans. You see their whiteouts. They have great participation on that front. So it's, it's really impressive. I I would encourage anyone listening who hasn't experienced it in person to someday, you know, maybe one year, like circle that on the bucket list and, and try to get out there. It's, it's really cool. I think it's, it's probably the coolest atmosphere of sports that I've covered. I don't know if that makes it tougher. I mean, teams, I don't think, I still think they lose at home. Like they're not, they don't have some crazy unbeatable home record, but it's it's something that every team does have to overcome. Sure. It's a fact. I mean, you can't deny it's a factor in their favor every time, like a a factor in their favor that that is maybe more of a factor than it is for a lot of teams, right? Doesn't mean they're unbeatable there, like you said, but it can still help, obviously. So yeah, I, I just, but I do think Michigan's ready. I'm going to go 30 to Michigan, 30 to 19 Penn State. Okay. 
So in addition to what you said, the only thing I would add is I think that there is going to be an element of of mental resolve in this game. I expect it to be Michigan's most physical game to date. I I mean, these two teams have like staggering third quarter scoring margins. Penn State's is 97 to nothing. Michigan's is 114 to nothing. They're the only teams that haven't given up points in the third quarter this season. You know, they're both great in the red zone. A lot of the like gotta have it moments, they're really successful. I think there's a there's really good mental resolve on both teams. And so I think it a lot of the success on Saturday for whichever team wins is going to come down to who blinks last. Right? It, when when things get tough, when you know your body hurts and you need to go and get two more yards, you know, who's who wants it more? Like who's got that drive and that determination? And I think that's something Penn State. I'm speaking for them as someone who doesn't cover them. I feel like they've gotten a little bit better at that in the, since the last time Michigan played at, at Penn state. I think that they've, they've gotten a little bit better. I think since then they're what 19 and Oh, against teams that aren't Ohio state and Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, they've been, I think they've got a little bit more mental resolve and obviously playing at home helps. I think this will be really Michigan's first time having to like gut check itself all season. I mean, they can talk about, oh, they only led Bowling Green by eight at halftime, or they can talk about like, oh, Nebraska or Rutgers had us on the ropes with a seven nothing lead, but that's that's not the same. It's just not, you know. Nebraska had a good road atmosphere, but like that game was over almost immediately. So, I mean, we're gonna see who's who's we're gonna. I think both teams will endure gut checks in this game, and that's why I'm I'm predicting a closer score than you, Steve. I just I feel like I've covered enough of these. Penn State road games to know that there's always going to be something that some momentum shifting plays that just don't go Michigan's way. Even if they are the better team that season, it just feels like there's always going to be something. So I've got, I still have Michigan winning though. I've got Michigan 27, Penn State 20, even though they have great defenses. I just feel like the the nature of the game, I feel like there's going to be a little bit more scoring, especially in the second half, in my opinion. But we'll see what happens on the field for tons of preview content, as well as all the sign gate coverage that you could possibly want. Be sure to check it all out over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Who knows? Maybe this will resolve itself at some point. We can talk about just the football uh, the rest of the way. But regardless, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe? Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.